Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Billington, and joining me this week to review all the feeder series action from Spa is the very good and close friend of the podcast, Jacob Phillips. How are you? I am doing amazingly well, and what a fantastic weekend of feeder series action it was. I was, I think I enjoyed pretty much all the action there was, and thanks for having me on the uh, podcast, Jesse. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I caught bits and pieces of it. I was watching on a VPN while out in Croatia, so I saw bits and pieces of it while I was on holiday, but there were certainly some bits that you can fill me in on. So we'll dive into what the hell has happened, and one of the bigger pieces of news was Joshua Mason stepping up to Formula 2 from round 11 at Spa-Francorchamps, replacing Brad Benavidez at... uh, PHM Racing by Sherwood, which is a race team that always sounds like a fashion brand. But, uh, yeah, we've got a, a new driver joining the Formula 2 grid and the team confirmed that the Briton will be making his F2 debut, having competed in the Euro Formula Open Championship this season, scoring one win and two podiums in the two rounds he's raced at. So how did he do overall this weekend? Now he's jumped into F2. It's not easy track to come by. Probably I just have to debut. Certain those conditions was no easy task. So... Credit for him for, you know, he didn't retire from any of the races, if I remember correctly. But at the same time, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory either. Now, is that a fault of his own or was he promoted too early is another question potentially you could ask. I have looked at his records and, you know, he's come off the back of, I think it was a win in the second place, as you might have mentioned in Hungary. Um, But his results elsewhere in other formers didn't fill me with great confidence, but I don't want to knock him this early on in his F2 career. But it certainly looks like there was a lot of work for him and the team to help him with. So he could perform slightly better going forward. Um, it does beg the question to me, I don't want to be too critical, like I said, but is he just another pay driver? And the team do have a history of such. Obviously, Benavidez is a pay driver and he's left for, I think, potentially budgetary reasons. And Roy Nassani is, you know, one of the kings of the uh, pay driving world. So it is one question that certainly springs to mind. But Spa's not the easiest track to master, and if he's staying for the season, which at the moment in time I can't remember off the top of my head, if he is, he can only improve, I think, going forward. Yeah, I think having um, pay drivers sort of popping up, they pop up all the time, it'll be an interesting one to see as they go forward. Um, interesting career, I haven't seen find the news, here we go. Boom, 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 boom. Twenty-one-year-old Britain. Dum, 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 dum. Uh, uh, yeah, he's just a sort of replacement for the rest of the season. It sounds like so he could be around for a few more rounds to come. Obviously, Formula Two has not got much left to run. We've got Zandvoort, Monza, and then straight to Abu Dhabi for them, isn't it? So he's got three rounds after this to sort of prove why he's there and obviously spend his dollar wisely on an F2 car. So we'll wait and see what happens with that one. Um, Equally, another new driver to arrive in the feeder series paddock is Formula 3's Francesco Simonazzi, uh, joined Carlin this weekend. And uh, what was what was the reputation there? What what do we think of that one? Um, On paper, not the best results, 14th to 24th, but you've got to remember it's his first race and you've got to remember that it's a bigger field than F2 obviously 30 cars in that field he's come to Spa like I said with Josh Mason probably the hardest track that he'll go to this season and there's only one more race to go to but Spa is no easy place to start and to finish both races is I'd say 
promising. You know, it's very easy. We saw with the first sprint race, for example, in F3, very chaotic, very messy. A lot of cars dropped out there. We saw cars drop out all over the field in both races. So to stay on the track, 14th is, you know, halfway up the field. It's not the worst result in the world. So I think that he can come away pleased from this weekend. He doesn't come into it with the uh, best track record, but we'll certainly see what he can do going forward. And I'd say that I'd, I'd mark it down as a, as a decent weekend or certainly a promising one at, at best or at worst even. Yeah, not too shabby. And again, like we said, it's a challenging circuit. It was challenging, challenging conditions across the weekend as well with sort of wet and dry changing as well. It produces quite a greasy circuit to get hold of. Um, but nonetheless, it was mastered by a few and we saw F2's pole position claimed by Ollie Behrman and F3's pole position claimed by Pepe Marti. Some decent qualifying sessions out there and a lot of pressure over in F3 because there was very much the chance for one of the drivers to wrap up the season this weekend, though they did fail to do so. They failed to do so, but at the same time, they pretty much wrapped it up as well. I think Bortoletto needs one point in Monza, his home race. Um, which I think will definitely happen. He can do it as early as the Friday um, in qualifying. Obviously, you get two points in feeder series for a, for a pole position. Um, yeah, it was very astute performance. I think he did what he needed to do. Obviously, benefited from a few other retirements in round as well. And he sort of made the best, because again, a lot of people did. So I think it's just a matter of time. Other performances from this weekend that really caught my eye, look at Kyle Collette who I would say up to this point has had a little bit of a disappointing season considering it's his third season at this level. You know, he's got a spattering of wins throughout that time, but this season was sort of looking for that starting point and he got first place in the uh, heavily, like I said, disrupted sprint race, but also came through on the soft tyres, which eventually was the right strategy on Sunday, but also wasn't for, let's say, 80% of the race. So he was a leading one of that sort of path of the field as well. So... That was also quite promising from him. So there was a lot of good performances, a few bad ones, and Bortoletto, as we sort of thought, could have wrapped it up here, but all he needed to do was make a couple of overtakes on the last lap in the uh, feature race on Sunday. He didn't do so. He didn't take the risk. And obviously he goes to Monza with an absolutely fantastic and almost inevitable chance, really, that he's going to uh, wrap up the championship. Mm, almost rather more metered in Bortoletto's case, just to go, you know, I'll walk away with the points I've got here rather than gambling for a few more and possibly losing all of them. So it's a, a smarter play from him in that regard, to say the least. Um, I think we can't really talk about Formula 3 without mentioning Sophia Flush as well. First woman to score points in Formula 3, I believe I'm correct in saying. Scored P7, wasn't it, at the feature Well, I'd, I'd say she uh, very aptly scored points in Austria, but obviously the technical difficulties there meant that she didn't. So... Uh, first official points in F3 and the first woman to score points in F3, you are correct on that. Although we have seen other uh, other women score points in GP2 as well. I think Tatiana Calderon potentially. And yeah. I can't remember the other one. Apologies for that. But it's the first time as the rebranded FIA Formula 3. It's certainly been a long time coming. I think she's had some decent performances in a car that, like we say, hasn't performed as well. She made the strategy work. It was obviously very tough conditions out there. Obviously, like I've said many times, a very tough circuit to master. And you've got to think, going back to the Josh Mason point, obviously part of the same team, albeit a lower formula. Why didn't they not just promote someone from an F3 team? Why did they go for Josh Mason? But, you know, if Josh Mason doesn't perform, 
these teams can chop and change. These contracts aren't concrete. Maybe we could see someone like Flash potentially moving up to F2 as well. But that's a story for another day, I guess. But on the, you know, that's the best I've seen Flash all season. It's a result that I know that she is capable of. And I think it was finally good to get that result on paper. I think we, yeah, we've definitely seen her not necessarily develop through the season, but certainly refine how she races through the season and definitely gotten um, her feet back under the table when it comes to single-seaters and a lot more accomplished with this series. So I think uh, her confidence builds. We'll see a few more points achieving positions through the rest of the year and maybe that move up to F2, certainly. Speaking of F2, of course, we've already mentioned uh, pole position claimed by Behrman. Sprint race win for Fittipaldi, the first win for uh, Baby Shark in Formula 2. He's obviously had a few... Don't sing it. Yeah, it was was fantastic to see him on the podium, and he was... The emotion was there. It was great to see his brother Enzo, uh, his brother Pietro there as well. Just superb stuff and really well earned as well. It was a proper drive and a really good overtake on, I want to say Porsche, wasn't it, to get the pole sure. one for that sprint race. Then it was. Just with you on that, so yeah, absolutely fantastic to see Fittipaldi up there. Obviously, he has the name, the history, the backing as well. It's been a long time coming for him. I think that he's been close on several occasions, hasn't managed to sort of get that final final step on the podium obviously he got it was a double podium weekend which is no easy feat in F2 it doesn't always happen and it's certainly a sign of a good driver when it does so I was very pleased for him I'm a massive fan of the Brazilian anthem it's certainly one of the more uplifting ones hearing that ring round spa is absolutely magical um so yeah I was very very pleased for that and him and then of course you mentioned it was a double podium weekend for him because of course he was stood on the podium at the feature race next to Jack Doohan who offered around the shoeys after a win there in the feature and a pretty good win for Doohan as well not one that came easily he did have to fight for it make some passes but in the end it was a fairly chaotic race I think all the junior series races across the bar weekend were quite chaotic in their own rights but Doohan came out on top and again he's sort of rebuilt a season that didn't start off as strongly as we'd anticipated, especially after a good end to 2022. I was very disappointed up until about, I think it was about mid-season stage, sort of around Silverton before that. He was one of my favourites for the championship and he could still win the championship. That is something that he could still do. I don't think he will. He's a bit, bit too far behind, but as we've seen with F2 time and time again, these things can flip on its head. It's a crazy championship. We're going to Zandvoort and Monza, which will throw up some surprises, some weather potential as well. Who knows? And who doesn't love a shoey? I've never personally done one. It's something that's on my bucket list. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried a shoey, Jesse, but um, it certainly looked like these, the guys on the podium didn't exactly enjoy it either. But uh, um, I'm not sure he will care in the slightest because, as I've said, he is further towards that top of the table. I was going to say the juice of the foot is not something I've had the pleasure of trying but uh, there we go Um, yeah just another sort of crackers F2 feature race and one of those things that sort of really certifies your love for the feeder series and the junior runs of motorsport because they're just that little bit more exciting there's just that bit of action always going on on the circuit even if it is Roy Nassani attempting murder on another driver but hey you you bowl with those kind of things um if, if you've heard my voice on the podcast before, which some of you may have done, you will know that I'm a massive F3 lover. I'm an absolute, I'm an F1, uh, F3, sorry, mega fan, just as uh, Jesse's a massive fan of Yuki Tsunoda. Um, 
I've actually preferred F2 this year over F3. I think that F3 has uh, been slightly messy. Obviously, it's been completely, completely, it's still been very enjoyable. We've had the um, obviously chaotic races that we usually do, but we saw um, an F3 race, Jesse. I'm not sure if you caught it on the Saturday, which only had two racing laps. And it was very much akin to what we saw in Australia. We're going to tracks that are very hard to master. Obviously, F3 have been to Spa before. We've seen some great races there. It just seems that, I don't know if it's a problem with the field this year. Maybe we haven't got as many talents as we usually have. But we saw only two racing laps, and which meant that the FIA decided there were no points handed out, although they went back on that decision and then decided that points were handed out. And yes, at Spa, we've got to assume that these things will happen, but it wasn't the greatest look for F3. Yeah, a bit messy. I'd definitely say that I, much like you, have enjoyed Formula 2 over Formula 3 this season. It's been a more polished championship. It's felt a bit more, not necessarily adult, but it's had the chaotic energy to it while also putting together results and sort of giving drivers a real opportunity to grow and develop more so than just simply chucking 30 cars at a field and going, there you go racing it's been uh, it's felt a more sort of polished product for, for certain yeah i think it's been um and I don't, I don't know if it was circuit pacific i think we still see some good drives but um yeah f2 for me has been the um been the better better of the series this year um going off of that what do we what do we think of the uh the rest of the action there in f2 who do you think's now the favorite for the championship obviously we've seen Vesti lose his lead Paul Cher is, I think, 11 points clear now. We said at the start of the year, I remember you using the uh, term, you might have even coined it, Jesse, Formula Paul Cher. Um, we haven't exactly seen that this year, although he's still in the lead of a championship and now he's there. He has a consistency. He knows how to win races and finish things off. Will we see him finish that championship off or will we see Vesti or maybe even Awasa or Doohan come through and take these sports, come Abu Dhabi? It's going to be an interesting one to try and call. I really had an anticipation that we were going to have Formula Porsche this season. I really thought that after so many years in the series with, I don't want to say no competition coming against him, but certainly nowhere near as sort of strong competition as he faced last year, maybe with um, Aston Martin's reserve driver um, name escaped my brain. I Drogovic. Drogovic, that's the one. Um, I think it's, yeah, he's he's got a... He thought he might be able to walk this season, and I thought he might be able to as well, but it seems that he hasn't, and I still think he'll be able to win this season. I think others would still possibly put a few pounds of a bet, but I'm not overly confident in it. It's F2. It could swing anyway at any point in time still. I wouldn't. I think I'd put a five on it, but no more. I think it's still very much in the balance, but... He has the know-how, he has the longevity in the championship to know how to get things done. Although, like we said, it wouldn't be... I thought he might have not necessarily had it wrapped up by now because there's still three rounds to go, but we would go into sort of Monza and Zandvoort after summer break knowing that he's probably or likely to have one hand on the trophy, which is definitely not the case. Mm. It would be interesting to see how this next round develops I think as the pressure mounts and knowing that he's got two drivers breathing down his neck for that challenge especially if Iwas has had the potential of a Red Bull or Alpha Tauri drive waved in front of him it might spur him on a little bit and especially if Vesti obviously has this Mexico FB1 test lined up it might sort of rekindle a bit of interest in sort of what his next step is especially if Mercedes are going we might not be able to get you into the Mercedes but 
rumor is there's a Williams seat coming up or something, and I think there's certainly going to be some heat amongst the top three, to be certain, and maybe um, with Dewan now uh, moving ahead of Martins in the standings, that will really also put pressure on from behind. So we'll wait and see what happens in that regard. We'll wait and see what happens. Um, I'm still going to... You know, I, I like the sound of Vesti winning that championship. I think that I've certainly got behind him this year. I've sort of followed him since his F3 days in 2020. He was quite close to winning a championship there as well. He's got the Mercedes backing. I think he just seems like an all-round nice guy and I'd like to see him do it. But I think maybe because we all came into the season thinking that Borsche would dominate it, and that was always in my mindset that he would win it. I think it'd be nice if we had an had a, I don't want to call it upset because it's maybe harsh on the other drivers, but it was always earmarked as poor chair season. It might be nice to see him not win it, but it depends, you know, will that discover his chances F1? That remains to be seen, obviously, with Joe and Bottas potentially sticking around, or we'll have to see what happens there. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and I can't put my finger on it just yet. I'm not going to call it either way. It very much followed the usual pattern of F2 if we sort of earmarked it as uh, Porsche season, it goes anyway, which but we'll have to wait and see. Um, drivers for you that stood out from across the weekend, because I think my viewing was a bit patchy, I feel it's a bit unfair on me to try and commentate on them, but for you, what who were the, the drivers in Formula 2 and Formula 3 that really stood off the, off the cards for you? Formula 2, I'm going to go with, first of all, fantastic win for Fittipaldi, his first win in Formula 2, like we've said. He brought a real, really good, feel good um field to the weekend obviously like I mentioned the Brazilian anthem he's really shown what he can do and it actually reminded me this weekend I completely forgot this over the course of the weekend and the season that he's part of the uh, Red Bull Driver Academy now we know how potentially treacherous that can be how much it can lead to a seat and then false promises come along and you don't get the seat but it's going to be drives like that that might put him in the shop window I think there are people like Awasa for example and Lawson before him who are very much ahead in the queue but those sort of drives can't harm his cause. And potentially there's always the, uh, like we said before on our, if you go over and listen to our F1 review podcast for the Belgian Grand Prix, we've talked about potentially drives in FP1 and FP2 sessions throughout the rest of the season. And you know, Alpha Tower will need a seat filling there at some point as well for one of those sessions. And maybe we see Fittipaldi get a drive there. So who knows? But he was certainly one that impressed me. And I've got to go with the other winner for this weekend. I'm going to say very boring this weekend, but he, it, was a, it was a victory that, he needed to happen. It's a victory that we didn't necessarily expect from him over the course of the season, based on how the first sort of five or six months has gone. Is Jack doing? He's really put himself where he should be, very much in that championship fight. So that was one for me that, you know, solidifies his his place in the, the top four or five. Very nice. And then when it comes to Formula Three, the the names that stood out from the the scorecards there. Formula 3, who did I go for? I went for Flersch, first of all, her first points, like we've said. I think it's, it's it was obviously a very good, feel-good story for the first woman to score points in F3. It was a hard track to master, like I've said. The conditions didn't help, and it was also good to see driver and team coming together to make a very brave call on what was, you know, a very... It was very touch-and-go at the start of that race. You know, we were told it was a wet track. We couldn't see all the track on the uh, world feed, so I wasn't sure how wet it was, but it was certainly wet enough for the wet tires. We saw the performance come through. So it took a, a combination of, you know, obviously Sophia would have had some input in that, I'm sure, saying, you know what, let's try and brave it on the tires. She stuck to her gun, she made it work, and she came home with what is a very, you know, very good result, P7. It's a big field, like we say. It's not it's not 20 cars. It's It doesn't go without saying. You know, it is forgotten quite a lot of the time. There are 30 cars in that field. 
she has finished in the you know the top 33 percent of that so and and above that as well you know top seven is is very good result for her um i can't go past taylor barnard as well the um a win for jenza like we said they don't really often win in in f3 so it's very much it was very good to see a different team up there that was the theme of that race we saw so many teams up there that don't normally fulfill part of that upper echelon of the grid and who did I pick as my third driver? I, so, this is why right. I should have my notes up. Who did I have? I had Colette. There I go with Colette. So I've chosen two winners and Fleur, she really impressed me. Colette, like I said, won, won the first race, although he didn't have to do much because, like we said, it was majority one behind, one behind the safety car or run behind the safety car, should I say. But he made the alternate strategy work in the feature race, which is to me one of the most difficult things I've sort of done this weekend. It was treacherous. It certainly wasn't the optimal strategy for the first 80%, 85% of that race, but he got the tyres in a working window whereby he started to make gains on Flush, for example, on Montoya, and those drivers ahead in that sort of wet tyre running train where other drivers weren't making those gains and falling back from the likes of Flush. So he was one of the only drivers to make that work. I think it showed maturity, which he should be showing. Let's not, let's not you know... Let's not escape that fact. He's been in the series three years, and I think it was a very well-rounded weekend for him, and a weekend that I think he needed as well. Very much so. It's uh, certainly a packed weekend. Um, the net result of it, though, when it comes to driver and constructor championships for both series, in Formula 2, the drivers are Porsche, Leeds from Vesti and Iwasa. And when it comes to constructors there, it is ART leading Prima and then Carlin. In Formula 3, it's Bortoletto leading Aaron and Marty. And when it comes to constructors in Formula 3, it is Prima leading Trident and Campos. And that is very much all we have time for in a very condensed um, feeder series episode. Uh, we'll be back obviously after the summer break we have f1 content for you we'll probably have some other bits and pieces scattered across the summer break to keep you all entertained so make sure you've liked subscribed and got notifications turned on to not miss anything and if you want even more in the meantime jacob where can the people find you well if you're lucky enough you might find me down a local pub situated somewhere around the country or abroad or if you can't find me down the pub because it either is closed or I've been kicked out, you'll find me on Twitter at JacobPhil18. Fantastic. And obviously you can find the rest of the team on the Undercut podcast. We're on Instagram, Twitter. We've obviously got our Spotify and YouTube channel, as well as a TikTok. There's some footage there from Ellie Mae when she attended Formula E in London over the weekend. And if you want more from me, then you can find me as at Jesse on Cars on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also pick up the latest issue of Classic Car Weekly, which I can assure you I'm probably in somewhere. I do write for it. It's like my job outside of this. So please buy a copy. Otherwise, we'll be back after the summer break as Formula One and its associated cabal of feeder series moves to Zanfort. Zanfort.